Hello, everybody. Today's guest on the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle is Seattle Times Sounders reporter Matt Pence. Hello, everybody. Excited for another edition of the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. So much going on in the world of American sports right now. So thank you for supporting this podcast. You can find me and the US Sports Podcast on iTunes. Subscribe and please leave a lovely review if you'll be so kind. You can also find the official page on Audioboom and you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. Coming up later in the show, an exciting and really interesting conversation with Matt Pence, who writes uh, on the Seattle Sounders for the Seattle Times. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Pence, P-E-N-T-Z, or Z for the UK community. Uh, Matt was great on all things Seattle. Uh, they won the MLS Cup this season against Toronto. We're already looking ahead to 2017. Bruce Arena has been named the, U- the new Team USA head coach after the Jurgen Klinsmann era ended. There's lots of interesting points about the international players. Robbie Keane and Steven Gerrard have left LA Galaxy. David Villa was the MVP of the season. How is the MLS and how is soccer growing over there in the United States? Matt Pence will give us all of his takes on that. It's World Cup weekend in the NFL. We've got that to talk about. Who's going to be the MVP in that league? James Harden is going absolutely nuts in the NBA Alabama, some crazy stuff going down in college football. The New York Giants were partying in Miami six days before they play the Packers in the playoffs. Odell Beckham Jr. has not been to the playoffs once before in his career, and he was partying on a boat six days before his debut. We'll get to that as well. Jay Crowder was uh, not booed by Boston Celtics fans, but the Boston Celtics fans were cheering for free agent to be Gordon Hayward. Not good look at all. Before we get to Matt Pence, I want to talk to you about our sponsor on the U.S. Sports Podcast. Have a listen because I can double your money. The U.S. Sports Podcast is sponsored by our partners at RedZoneSports.com, the bespoke British bookmaker for American sports, as well as the best odds on U.S. sports money can't buy prize promotions and their very own cheerleading squad. You can get an exclusive £60 deposit match bonus as a new customer by using deposit code USSP on your first deposit. Red Zone is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. So that's deposit code USSP. It's real simple. Just go to the top right-hand corner of the page on redzonesports.com. Click register, enter your details, and then deposit code USSP, and your money will be doubled. As I mentioned, Matt Pence of the Seattle Times is to come, but there's so much in the uh, world of American sport going on right now. I'm going to start with the NFL wildcard weekend. So Saturday has the potential to be one of the worst NFL playoff weekends, well, days we've ever seen. We start with the Houston Texans at home against the Oakland Raiders. This could have been such an exciting season for the Raiders, and I'm so, you can be as disappointed as possible without supporting a team. And for me, Derek Carr going down for Oakland is as bad as it gets and kind of strengthened his MVP case. We'll get to that next because the Raiders have not looked good since Carr went down. Yeah, I know Matt McGloin and then Connor Cook. Not going to do it for you like Derek Carr does. But the Texans and the Raiders, we're going to see Brock Osweiler, who's coming back from the depths of disaster, um, being taken off for Tom Savage a couple of weeks ago. And Savage was playing okay and holding the fort until he went down with a concussion. So Osweiler will start. And we're going to see Connor Cook, the rookie who a lot of people touted as his first-round pick back in April. Um, he's going to start for the Raiders. McGloin looked to be the starter. Obviously, he's got the experience over Connor Cook, but he's injured. If you'd have said three weeks ago, not only would the Raiders not get the number two or number three seed, 
but they will be the fifth seed against the Texans going into Houston with Connor Cook starting against Brock Osweiler, who was benched just a couple of weeks ago. You would have said, shut up, get out of my face. And that's what we've got. It's, it's a blockbuster. Bring out the celebs, bring out the stars. Savage against Cook. Um, and although Oakland will be happy that they have to go and play Houston, it's probably the, the best of the bunch. Yes, the Texans' defense is good, but they haven't got J.J. Watt. And, you know, it's a confusing team, Houston. Bill O'Brien, known as this offensive guru, who's coached in New England, who's had Tom Brady as a quarterback, who's now signed Brock Osler to a big deal. They've got DeAndre Hopkins. They've got Will Fuller. They've got some talent. Jadavian Clowney's been pretty good this season as well. They're a mystery to me. They just haven't worked it out all season. But at home, with that defense, of course, there's a home field advantage. But the Texans fans are pretty edgy. They, they check out pretty early in these games. I like Houston because of the home team and Oakland are um, pretty thin with, at quarterback. But a really disappointing matchup when you consider that the Raiders were a lot of people's tip to go into Foxborough and be the only team that could potentially beat the Patriots. So that's the first installment on Saturday. Probably not going to tune in for that one. But then Lions at Seahawks in the second one. Seattle, a team that you can't really understand this season. Not scoring enough points, not protecting Russell Wilson. Defense. Not known to be as good as it has been. Oh, Thomas is obviously out for the season. Richard Sherman, known for talking this season, not playing, not performing to his best. He's, he's talking too much. Shouting down the field, Pete Carroll. I wouldn't call that play again on the, at the end zone like we did in Super Bowl 49. Richard Sherman is calling out his coach about play calls on the offense. What if Russell Wilson went up to the coach and said, I don't like the way you're playing this game with Richard Sherman? Telling What have he told Richard Sherman how to play defense at corner? Because he hasn't been very good this season. So Sherman gets away with that. And the Seahawks, they have a home game. But they blew that number three seed that they could have had when they lost to Arizona. And they're facing a Detroit Lions team who, okay, who have they really beaten? If you look down the list of teams they've beat, the best team they beat was probably the Saints. All season, they've been good at coming back in second halves and fourth quarters, facing, facing big deficits. I like Detroit in this one. I really do. I think Matt Stafford is yearning for playoff wins. He's had a great season. There was talk of him being the MVP this season. Slowed down quietly, but Calvin Johnson not being there anymore. Stafford's had to look for more targets. Everything's been a bit more open. The Lions have surprised a lot of people, but they lost to the Packers in Week 17 when it really mattered. When Stafford and the Lions have needed to win, they haven't been able to get it done so far. Great quarterback, great stats. But if he wants to be a Hall of Famer, if he wants to be known as one of the best of all time, Detroit has to win multiple playoff games. And it starts in Seattle on Saturday. Moving to Sunday really quickly to wrap up. Best of the bunch on this day. Miami at Pittsburgh. Matt Moore at quarterback against Ben Roethlisberger. Pittsburgh avoided embarrassment last week in the final week against Cleveland. Steelers were playing their B team, of course, but they edged past the Browns, who finished the season 1-15. and Big year for Cleveland and Hugh Jackson. But this game, is Matt Moore worse than Ryan Tannehill? Is he better? Can he do a job for you in the playoffs? If Matt Barkley is one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league this season, Matt Moore has to be number nine, surely. He can put it on target. He can throw short passes. Hasn't got a big arm. But Tannehill hasn't been exactly lights out for Miami. Adam Gase has done a tremendous job. He's got Miami into this, into this playoff field. Jay Ajayi, London-born, very proud over here. He's been very good. He's had three 200-yard games, I think, this season rushing. 
So they're going to need him. But going into Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger knows how to do it in this time of the year. Two Super Bowl rings, lots of playoff appearances. And Pittsburgh has something that no other team has. They have the best player at three separate positions. Roethlisberger at quarterback, Antonio Brown at wide receiver, and Le'Veon Bell at running back. That's a pretty hot trio. Steelers haven't looked right the last couple of weeks. Okay, they haven't looked like their best. But they know how to win. This time of year especially, they've got the home game against Miami, who are kind of a scratch in the playoffs. You bet on Miami at your peril. <laughs> and Pittsburgh has the skill players, the skill positions, that if they perform to the best of their ability, they can go pretty far. A lot of people's pick for the Super Bowl this season. And probably the pick of the wildcard weekend, the Giants go to Green Bay to face the Packers, who won out for the last six or seven weeks of the season to make it. They beat Detroit, as I mentioned, in Detroit in Week 17. And they've got a home game. The Lions have to go to Seattle. Important the Packers play host to the Giants. Because the Giants, as we know, and they haven't been to the playoffs since they won the Super Bowl back in 2011. They've done this a couple of times with Eli Manning. Back in 07 against the Patriots. And back in 2011 against the Patriots. They've won two of the best Super Bowl games in history. Eli Manning has made plays in the fourth quarter. In two Super Bowls. His receivers have made great plays. We don't count what they do in the regular season. Which is not a, lot, not a whole lot. They won a Super Bowl with a 9-7 and seven record one year. They made it in. That's what matters for the Giants, because they've already upset the Packers when they won the Super Bowl. They had to go on the road, and they won there. I don't think they're going to do it again, though. Aaron Rodgers, if you look at his stats, again, I say the letters MVP, but Aaron Rodgers, he's been criticised a lot this season, probably more because of how he doesn't get on with his family, doesn't speak to his family, but we don't need to ask questions about that. We don't know enough about it. What we do know is that he is the greatest quarterback when he has to freelance out of the backfield. He's so good at making plays downfield. The best deep throw we've seen. Jordy Nelson is back to his best. Early in the season, they were saying that Jordy Nelson was still finding his legs. Now, I'm, think, I'm thinking he's found his legs. But the Giants' defense has been one of the best. You could say that they've got the best defense in this playoff field. Of all the teams, when you bring in the teams that are going to make their debut in the divisional round, New England's going to throw some different things at you. But the Giants, who spent a lot of money in this offseason on the defense, looking pretty strong. But who's going to win the MVP in the NFL? Does Derek Carr get more of a nod? Because his absence has pushed the Raiders right way down the playoff field. Tom Brady, is 12 games enough for him to win the MVP? Matt Ryan, can you say to Matt Ryan that Tom Brady's 12 games is more valuable than his 16 games? Would we be even debating Matt Ryan winning the MVP if the Falcons had a finish in the first uh, spot in the NFC and not the second? I think Matt Ryan's going to win the MVP because he's led a team who didn't make the postseason last year. We always think with Atlanta, they start well or they start poorly and they turn it round and they always finish around 500. Atlanta didn't let up this season. They kept winning. They kept scoring a ton of points. They beat the Saints in Week 17. Always a tough team to beat. It's always going to be a shootout. Matt Ryan's had to play without Julio Jones for a couple of weeks. Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman, a great running back uh, tandem there. Freeman's been excellent this season. And they're going to be playing in the Dome. Matty Ice back in the playoffs. Exciting times. I think he should win the MVP. Moving swiftly to the NBA. And I wanted to talk about the beard today. Not mine, but James Harden's. Insane this season. 28.5 points, 8.1 rebounds. He leads the league in assists with 12 or 11.9 this morning as I check basketball reference. He ended 2016 in historical fashion. He decimated the Knicks. He scored 53 points and accrued 17 assists and 16 rebounds. The first ever player 
to score at least 50 points, get 15 rebounds and 15 assists. He tied Wilt Chamberlain for the most points in a triple-double with the 53. And we've only talked about Russell Westbrook this season. Of course we have. He recorded a triple-double the other day in 23 minutes and 26 seconds, his quickest. He's recorded triple-doubles nearly every other game. He's been great for the Oklahoma City Thunder. But James Harden is also MVP-worthy. The Rockets are third in the West. They're four and a half games above the aforementioned Thunder. Two seasons ago, James Harden was second in MVP voting behind Stephen Curry. Last season, he didn't even make any of the three All-NBA teams. How is that even possible? It's so funny how quick the NBA world changes. Suddenly, James Harden again is one of the best five players in the league. He was last year. And how ironic that all it took for us to see the best of James Harden was for Mike D'Antoni to say to him, play point guard. James, pass the ball. And James Harden, fair to him, is showing us that he is one of the best passers in the NBA. And the way the league is going now, and Charles Barkley can say what he wants about how poor the league is, and yes, half the teams are under 500. But this new phenomenon of NBA players grabbing an offensive rebound and being under the basket, free for an open layup, or a point guard driving to the rim and being open for a layup, kicking it out to the three-point line, that is the way the NBA is going right now. Schemes are different. Offenses are changing. Defense isn't being played as much because coaches and teams are obsessed with scoring points. The ball is moving more. The NBA is changing, and James Harden has those weapons to go along with that scheme now. Mike D'Antoni, the system you had in Phoenix, seven seconds or less, and you shoot the ball. The Rockets are doing it too. Harden has Ryan Anderson. Eric Gordon is playing at an all-star level this season. Trevor Ariza can shoot the ball. He's got the freedom from D'Antoni. He, he admitted himself after this 53-point game that he probably has too much freedom from D'Antoni, turning the ball over a lot, but so is Russell Westbrook. You're going to take chances. You're going to turn the ball over. Harden has 27 games this season of double-digit assists. And owner Leslie Alexander for the Rockets said he's one of the greatest players of all time. That's pretty high praise. I wouldn't put him there right now. I would certainly say that with hindsight, we can say that the Thunders trade away James Harden going away from the Thunder is one of the worst trades of all time in the NBA. But I think James Harden deserves his credit. And this is becoming one of the greatest MVP races we've ever seen. James Harden against Russell Westbrook. And guess what? At the time of recording this podcast, those two in a couple of hours will be playing against each other. So forgive me for not being able to talk about that matchup. But I'm sure it'll be an exciting one. James Harden right now is making the Rockets a very, very dangerous proposition for the Golden State Warriors, for all the talk of us saying the Warriors are going to make it back to the finals, they're going to play the Cavs, just keep an eye on the Rockets. The New York Giants, they're going to the postseason. We just talked about their matchup with the Packers on Sunday night. It's a classic Fox Sports game. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman will be there. And they will not, I can guarantee you this, they will not be in the booth, in the commentary booth, in Green Bay, with Timberlands on, with baggy pants on, and with no shirt on. What were the Giants thinking going to Miami after beating the Redskins? A game that didn't mean anything. Knocking Washington out of the postseason. The Giants had the fifth seed locked up. They won the game. Could have taken the train back to New York. Maybe gone to Eli Manning's for some pizza. Have some rum punch. Whatever you got to do. Go to a function in New York. Don't fly to Miami on a private jet. Go on a boat with Justin Bieber and 
Johnny Manziel, who is fast becoming one of those guys who we're going to have to start make, thinking about making a Where's Wally for Where's Manziel. And every page you turn, it's a nightclub, it's a party boat, it's a strip club, it's a beach. I don't know where it'll be next. Do you have to do this? Socially aware players like Odell Beckham Jr., Victor Cruz, they're on the boat. They're posing. Six days before you fly to Green Bay to play the Packers. Odell Beckham Jr. has never been to a playoff game before. He takes himself far too seriously, thinks he's a, a bona fide celebrity. Yes, you're one of the best five players in the league. Yes, you're one of the top five talked about players in the league. Yes, you are so paramount to the NFL's growth internationally. But your team are about to go to the playoffs. Does he understand what this looks like? Do the Giants team understand what this looks like? Because I can't just put it all on Odell Beckham Jr. The media have not made a big story out of this. The media have not made a big deal out of this. The Giants going on this trip to Miami to party it up does not look good. It's not about what you didn't do on the boat. Because there's been talk of cannabis being on the boat. Of other drugs being on the boat. It's not about that. If you didn't do it, fine. If you didn't drink, fine. If you wanted to just have a bit of a relax and a bit of fun, fine. But it's the way it looks. Do you understand that going to Miami, partying on a boat with Bieber, who's obviously going to tweet about it, we're going to find out that you are on this boat, whether you tweet anything or not, because Manziel and Bieber are there. It just doesn't look good. And they've opened up the discussion and the potential when when or if they lose to the Packers, This will be a talking point. You can guarantee that. They were back in training just today. And Ben McAdoo, Eli Manning, they both had to answer questions about it. Beckham Jr. and Cruz both had to answer questions about it. And you know what they said. Of course, they said, we're on to Green Bay. We're focusing on the playoffs. But if they have terrible games on Sunday, it might have nothing to do with this trip. But the media and the stories and the focus and the attention will all be about it. I can guarantee you that. If the Giants win, you'll probably get some ridiculous comments from Beckham Jr. saying, hey, what were you talking about earlier? What were you saying about Miami? But I bet you won't fly off to Miami again if they win in the wildcard round because Ben McAdoo, the Giants organization, should tell them no more of this. It was ridiculous. It didn't look good. And you can't defend it. That's enough from me. Now to our interview. The first time on the US Sports Podcast, we're going to be talking Major League Soccer. Yes, the MLS with Matt Pence, who writes for the Seattle Times, The Seattle Sounders won the MLS Cup this season against Toronto. Yes, the team that Jermaine Defoe left famously to come back to the Premier League and play for Sunderland. Why wouldn't you? I mean, why would you want to live in Toronto when you can live in Sunderland? Anyway, that's not a question I asked Matt, but I did get to him about a load of things. Sounders, soccer in Seattle, soccer in the US, all things MLS and the growth of the game in the United States. Here's Matt Pence of the Seattle Times. I can certainly give you more than five good soccer seconds, as uh, the Dan Patrick Show does with their soccer coverage. Could you sum up the MLS season for us, which has just concluded, which I appreciate might be quite a difficult task? Yeah, that's that's pretty broad. So I'll narrow it down to Seattle specifically as uh, the reigning champions here. They kind of had a whirlwind year. Uh, which started with them losing Elba Femi Martins, who was sort of their most productive player. Midway through the season, they parted ways with Ziggy Schmidt, who was the only coach they'd ever had in their MLS era. And then somehow after that, they turn it around, get hot at the right time. And obviously a little bit different of a system here than you have over in England. So really, 
in a playoff system, all you need to do is sort of peak at the right time, and that was the Sounders. So they were sort of the, the story of the season over here in a way they were able to kind of turn it around and, and win the, the title here. And they won it on penalties. There were no shots on goal for them in regulation. There were no shots on target over the 120 minutes, obviously going to extra time. That sounds like Aston Villa territory here, Matt. That's my team over here in the, in, well, I was going to say the Premier League, but it's not, is it? It's the championship now. I have to get used to saying that. But if the Sounders hadn't have won the cup, what, what is their season remembered for? I think, I mean, obviously that performance in the championship game wasn't entirely inspiring, even given that they were on the road and everything else. So that would have been a letdown, but I think that people would have still appreciated the run as far as they went just because of how dramatic their turnaround was and how unlikely everything was. So even if they had lost on penalties or if they had just given up a goal like they probably should have, uh, given how little they offered, I think that people around here still would have looked back on this year as a uh, memorable one. And you wrote a piece uh, a couple of weeks ago now about the thousands of people that turned up to celebrate the cup victory under the Space Needle after that win over Toronto, where the Sounders expansion team actually was born 10 years ago this April. And it's got me thinking, how many diehard Sounders fans do you think are Supersonic fans? Obviously, the former NBA franchise in Seattle, which was moved to Oklahoma eight or so years ago. What I'm trying to say is... Have the Sounders filled the Sonics void for locals? Yeah, I think that they probably had slightly different demographics in terms of their overall fan base. But I think that you're right in that the, the Sounders were very fortunate to step into a vacuum in the way that they did. Because it wasn't only that the Sonics uh, were leaving. It was also that the University of Washington football team, uh, which just played in the college Final Four for football, and they're very popular here in the city, they had gone winless. They were 0-12 that fall. The Mariners had kind of fallen flat after a big offseason and lost 90-some games. And even the Seahawks were 4-12, and 4-8 or something, had kind of a down year. So the Sounders came in at a very low time in the city sports history, and they were successful right away. They've made the playoffs every year. And I just think that they, it was sort of a case of right place at the right time. Um, and they've been able to kind of take off from there. Yeah, we've mentioned the Sonics and the Mariners, obviously the Seahawks, a couple of Super Bowl appearances recently, and they've won one of them. Russell Wilson leading that team. Why do you think that soccer is so popular in Seattle? It does have very deep roots here, um, going all the way back into the 70s. Uh, There are a couple universities that have always been good. It's just a region that's always kind of prized the game. And if you look at some of the talent that's come out of here recently from DeAndre Yedlin, um, who has since moved over to England, who came up with the Sounders, Jordan Morris, another local kid who's kind of taking off with the Sounders. So it's always been an area that's had really good youth soccer, is really has, has a proud soccer culture here. Um, and I think the Sounders have also been able to tap into that in a, in a really efficient way. So Sky Sports, which is our uh, television carrier over here in the UK, it signed a four-year deal last year to broadcast the MLS. Um, Are you writing for a growing audience, do you think, over there? For sure. Um, I don't. People over here, I mean, you'd always like it to just kind of take off immediately, right? So people would rather have it just finally up to a stable level, let's see MLS take off. But it's just kind of been the story of a slow, gradual growth. I think the Sky Sports deal is part of that. You see... MLS reaching more and more people, but it kind of has been a 
slow and steady build. And I kind of, I think that that will be the trajectory more than say a China, which is just all of a sudden infusing all of this money into the league to see if they can have it take off. I think MLS will continue to kind of slowly grow and slowly build um, its audience and hopefully be able to keep tapping into that. Certainly over here, uh, I think we understand the MLS is a league where we will in, they will introduce former players who had their time in the UK or in Europe, um, even in China sometimes. The Steven Gerrard experiment, it only lasted one and a half seasons. How disappointing was it and how much were you expecting him to push the league forward like David Beckham did? It was certainly a disappointment from a Galaxy perspective. Um, I do think that it achieved one of its ends in that it did just sort of gain the attention of a lot of people in England, and it did sort of hit those initial marks that were able to continue the buzz. But I think that sort of a really interesting theme in MLS right now is that the league is slightly pivoting away from having to rely on the Gerrards and the Lampards and the guys that are very clearly at the end of their careers uh, whereas if you look at the Sounders, their turnaround was really inspired by Nicholas Lodero, who's uh, the Uruguayan national team, sort of the playmaker in his late 20s, came straight to Seattle from Boca Juniors and was really a guy still very much in his prime. So I think that MLS, you'll, you'll see it continue to maybe target those type of guys who maybe might not resonate immediately in the way that a, a Gerard certainly would. Um, but I think the league will continue to sort of try to get younger and get some guys closer to their prime because it really does improve the product itself. Yeah, because Matt, I've, I've barely heard anything about how Frank Lampard's doing, how Gerard did. I, I think Robbie Keane, who we'll get to in a second, he was been he's been really successful. But I think you're right. I mean, do you do you see soccer fans over there getting more excited about the draft, for instance, or free agents being picked up, other than or other than you know? big stars from Europe coming over there? Because we've had a lot now, Henri to that list, big names, but players who maybe had their time previously. For sure. I just think you see that, that teams don't necessarily need to make those signings to survive, right? I mean, with that Red Bull team back in the day with, with Henri, I mean, you could make a case that the only reason people were willing to take the train out of New York City to go out to New Jersey to watch that team play was to see Henri. But if the league continues to grow and the product itself is less reliant on those specific guys, I think it's an overall theme. And, and it's not going to go away. Um, certainly a lot of teams do still rely on those guys to sell the tickets and to gain the attention. But I, I just think that teams are getting less and less reliant on having to make those flashy signings than they were even five years ago. I just mentioned Robbie Keane, now 36 years of age now, and, and he's had a great career. Republic of Ireland, over 100 caps, Aston Villa, Tottenham Hotspur. He's been very successful, and he went to LA, and I think he had a really successful kind of stint there. Uh, six seasons, 92 regular season goals, and he won three MLS Cups as well. I wanted to ask you where you would place him on the list of international figures who've played in the MLS. In terms of his overall output, I think that he is at the very top of the list. Um, I think that you can make a very strong case that he is the most successful signing in MLS history just because of all those things you were talking about between the productivity and the titles. He's kind of been unmatched. You look at a guy like Sebastian Giovinco for Toronto, who's also been really prolific with his stats, but even he's got a couple years to go before – you can sort of compare him to Keane. So I think that Keane is at the very top of that list. 
Los Angeles is certainly going to miss him, and they're going to have a lot of questions to answer going forward because the Sounders are the defending champion, but as you sort of alluded to, the Galaxy are still the team in MLS, and losing Lampard, losing Gerrard, they lost their head coach, Bruce Arena, to the U.S. national team. That's very much a team in flux and something to keep an eye on uh, as the season kicks off here in a couple months. Yeah, apologies for banging on the big-name drum, but David Veer, another one, he won the MVP of the league this season. Do you think, honestly now, these prominent figures are enjoying the soccer, or is it mostly about the money? It's probably a combination. I think that you can also add in, I think that it's kind of about the American lifestyle as well. I've talked to, I've talked to Lodero, the Sounders guy, a number of times, and that was really appealing to him to be able to comment and be a little bit more stable. And I know Via talked about how New York was such a draw, and he, he has been one that's really had an impact. He signed right about the same time as Andrea Pirlo, who hasn't had nearly as successful a time, but Via – you can certainly put him in the category of success stories within MLS and certainly a guy that it certainly doesn't look like he's going through the motions uh, as he continues to put up these numbers and push New York City FC forward. We're currently having a discussion with Matt Pence of the Seattle Times. He's the Seattle Sounders reporter there. I just wanted to let you guys know about a great deal we have with redzonesports.com. The US Sports Podcast is sponsored by our partners at redzonesports.com, the bespoke British bookmaker for American sports. As well as the best odds on US sports, money can't buy prize promotions and their very own cheerleading squad, who wouldn't want one of those, you can get an exclusive £60 deposit match bonus as a new customer by using deposit code USSP on your first deposit. Red Zone is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. That's redzonesports.com. Enter deposit code USSP when you register and double your money. Let's get back to Matt Pence. I'm intrigued to find out what it's like to be a soccer fan in the United States and also what it's like to be someone who really doesn't like the game because I think there's a perception that soccer fans are soccer snobs, if you put it that way. You know, they, they like to make sure that they you say pitch, not field. And you know what I'm talking about, touchline, not baseline, not out of bounds. Yeah. Which, you know, it, what's it like? I mean, do you do you think there's a certain element of snobbery? And are we, are we educating people that don't like the sport the right way? There's certainly still some of that. Um, it's a really interesting time, I think, to be around the game because I do think you're sort of at this impasse where there still is some of that soccer snobbery, there's still outright hostility to the game here, but it's not nearly as much of a bubble niche sport as it was even, like I said, four or five years ago. I just think it's grown so much, and the casual fan base, especially among younger people, is growing so much that I think that you'll see some of those edges kind of sanded down. There's still some of that defensiveness, but as the sport continues to grow and they sort of continue to especially resonate with young people, I think you'll see less of that snobbery um, as we move forward with the game in this country. Do you think concussions in in the NFL have helped the growth of soccer in the States? To a degree. I think that it's certainly helping develop the youth game here because I do think that you've seen sort of a groundswell in in youth participation and, and people being less willing to have their kids play football. So I do think that there's maybe been some of that impact now, but the NFL is still very much front and center here within our country. And even here in Seattle, um, the Seahawks are still very much the kings of town, even though maybe it started to pivot a little bit. But I do think that the, the long-term impact you might see further down the road, I mean, maybe 
20 years from now, we'll be able to look back and pinpoint the concussion thing as being what really turned the tide. But for now, soccer is still very much chasing football from behind. Do the MLS care about David Beckham's Miami project? And and where are we with that? Certainly the league itself and the commissioner and sort of the brass in New York City is still very much pushing for that to happen. But I do think if you ask the, the average fan around the league, people are kind of frustrated and tired of hearing about this because it just still hasn't been able to happen. I mean, they're still... They haven't been able to find a stadium site even now. Expansion plans are actually kind of on hold, waiting to see what Miami can do. So I think that they're kind of in crunch time here. If they can't get a deal done within the next six months or year, I think that the league's going to have no choice but to move on uh, from Beckham's project because it just had so many setbacks, and they really are holding the rest of the league up in their inability to get a stadium. I got a friend in uh, in Utah. Well, he, he used to live in Utah and now lives in Washington State. And he said when he lived in Utah, he went to go and watch Real Salt Lake a lot. Is there a particular team in a particular city to you that you've been surprised that it's worked there and become quite successful? I think Sporting Kansas City is probably the one that really stands out to me. Uh, because, like you said, Salt Lake is another one that's in that category. But Kansas City... I'm from sort of the edge of the Midwest in western Pennsylvania, went to school in Ohio, and that's very much heartland football territory. Soccer is still very much a fringe sport there. So Kansas City, to have them in the middle of the heartland, to be able to have the success that they've had, to build that beautiful stadium that they have, and to really resonate in that city, that's the one that really stands out to me is a pleasant surprise. Uh, for how MLS has been able to grow. Now, obviously, I want to talk to you about Bruce Arena, uh, Team USA. Um, they, I think he selected the 32 players that are going to be called up for camp um, just recently. What do you think of that move and the Klinsman project? It was a strange one. Um, Landon Donovan, again, maybe there was a fallout there. What What do you make of like kind of Team USA's status right now in, in, in terms of world football, world soccer? I think that it was time to move on from the Clemson project. Like you said, a bit of a strange one. It's been kind of a strange journey with him and almost from the beginning with the way that he fell out with Donovan and such a popular figure here. He didn't do himself a lot of favors in currying sort of the fan base's support. And you can do that as long as you win. And they were at least okay. They had a decent run at the World Cup, were able to get out of the group, if nothing else. Kind of got killed by Belgium, but they were sort of a late stoppage time chance away from moving into the quarterfinals. So you can sort of go and antagonize everybody and sort of pick all of these battles as long as you keep winning. And that has just kind of stopped. Um, They've really struggled for the last year and a half or so with the occasional spike. And whenever they went down to Costa Rica and sort of rolled over in a World Cup qualifier loss, I think it was 4 nothing. Uh, That was kind of the end of the road. I think that was kind of clear. You can kind of quibble with the arena selection because he has been around for a while. He's not exactly a a young, sexy hire. But at this stage of the qualifying process, I think they needed a steady hand and something to look for going forward. I think that their hire after the 2018 World Cup will be really interesting as to where they kind of want to fit into the world landscape. So that's the hire, I think, that 
that people should look at to see what U.S. soccer's ambition is over the next five, ten years. Now, I don't know myself, and I don't know if you do, but um, if you have to estimate it, do you know the percentage of Americans that are playing in the MLS at the moment? I don't know that offhand, but it still is definitely, they're, they're still definitely the dominant sort of subgroup here. And it, they're especially kind of the guys that fill out the roster because you have sort of the big name stars that come in, maybe guys one through three on a roster. Uh, but from about four through 28, that's still very predominantly American. And those are still definitely the guys that are filling out the league. What would you like to see change in the MLS? I'd like to see teams get a little bit more ambitious with their spending, and I'd like to see the league be a little bit less heavy-handed in how it sort of tries to make – they enforce the salary cap so hard in a way that I think sort of impedes the progress of the overall product because they do still – they're very cautious with growing too fast because if you look at some of the leagues throughout history, the North American Soccer League won – uh, obviously being most prominent, that was kind of a league that most pointed to as being killed by overspending and being too ambitious and sort of letting that get out of hand. And MLS has been so careful about not following those footsteps that I think that they're sort of slowing the growth of teams like the Sounders, of teams like the Galaxy, that really could stand to spend more money and really make a big splash with their teams and in driving the quality forward. But the league is still, I think, a little bit too worried about making sure the teams in Columbus and the New England Revolution, who still struggle to draw, I think that they worry too much about leaving those teams behind, that they're harming the overall product and not allowing sort of the, the glamorous teams to kind of pull the league forward. Now, going back to your neck of the woods in Seattle, the Sounders Portland Timbers rivalry, you know, you could relate it to Arsenal Tottenham here without the violence, maybe. Um, if I'm in Seattle on a match day for that game, what am I seeing? What am I doing? And, and just how important is that rivalry up there in the Northwest? Yeah, those games are still my personal favorite part of the job uh, because it is just such a, a unique thing to hear. If you were in Seattle for it, you would very much feel it especially in the streets around the stadium in sort of that area of the city, you'd see a lot of sort of that distinctive light green all over the place. And like I said, the Sounders are still, I think that there's a little bit of a perception worldwide that the Sounders are this dominant force within Seattle, but they still are trying to grow their brand here. And they don't always have the, the casual following of even the Mariners who have been a lot around for much longer, but on those Timbers match days, you very much feel it, and it really does kind of take over the city in a way that I think is really unique. And you have the Sounders fans. I think what, why people relate to them, uh, if you're not from the States, is because you see the fans, and if you know the NFL, you see the Seahawks are a great home. It's a great home field advantage, um, and you kind of have that replicated with the Sounders. Do you know why that is, and have you spoken to any uh, diehard families around the city that really love the, the team? Yeah, like I said, I think that they've really been able to, to sort of tap into the underlying soccer culture here. And they've also really been able to, like I said, step into that void that the Sonics left and being a really successful team. And I think what the Sounders do as well is they just they win in a way that's kind of unique. Because traditionally, Seattle is not the most successful of sports cities. 
The, the Mariners are one of the few teams to never be in the World Series. The Seahawks have had a nice couple of years here, but before that there was a lot of heartbreak and a lot of woe. So I think the Sounders have kind of scratched the itch for the city of being this consistent, dominant success story that I think is really sort of tapped into that, that city pride. So now we're into 2017, looking forward to a, ne- a new season. Um, we can stick with Seattle and also any other teams that you think might be worth noting. Wh- what, who's going to be active this offseason and what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, the Sounders will obviously, it's the defending champion and it's a team that really came on late. I think it's sort of their title to lose. Um, I think Toronto FC, the team that they beat in MLS Cup, they're going to be good again. Um, It's a little bit of a strange time in the league because so many teams are in flux. Like I said, the Galaxy, who you would normally look to, is that secondary power. They're, They're going to be down, I think. I think you'll see Portland improve as to where they were last year. I think Vancouver will take another step forward. So I think all of the Pacific Northwest teams will be ones to watch going forward. And then over on the other side, I think the New York teams will be very good again. Um, and I think that that will sort of be the basis of power in the East. So I think that you'll look at the Pacific Northwest teams in the West, the New York teams plus Toronto in the East. I think that everybody else will sort of be chasing those packs from behind. Who's your favorite all-time U.S. soccer player? Oh, that's a good one. Putting me on the spot here. <laughs> uh, I think uh, DeMarcus Beasley has sort of always been a guy that I've, really admired and he might not be the flashiest guy but I think that he's had a really unique career so he's kind of always been the guy that that I look to and has really been formative in sort of my watching with the national team I got a deep question for you has Clint Dempsey ever smiled rarely he he (laughs) smiled once during the parade I could oh wow yeah during, during the championship parade he he flashed a smile but they are very few and far between uh even at practice and everything else Last couple of questions for you, Matt. Um, it all went a bit quiet on the 39th Premier League game talk. Um, I can't even remember when it was now, over five years ago. Are the US pining for more Premier League and European games? Because I see the pre-season tours, they've become very popular. You had Leicester City over there this seat last off-season. And I think those are generating a lot of revenue. They're popular for teams to go over there and have camps. So what's the kind of status with Premier League uh, in the US? Yeah, I think that there's very much a market for that here. I mean, like you said, people will pack stadiums. I mean, I think there were more than 100,000 people at uh, at Michigan Stadium to watch Real Madrid a year or two ago. It's just a very – that's definitely a market that is there to get tapped into, even for these exhibition games. So if they ever find a way to bring a competitive game there, uh, I do think that that would be a huge draw and really get some dominant interest here just because of where that market's at. And when do you think we're going to get a prominent player from this side of the uh, the European side to join the MLS? When he's in his prime, what will it take? I think that we're slowly getting there, honestly. I mean, if you look at a guy like Lodero, uh, you would have never thought five years ago that the playmaker from Boca Juniors in Uruguay would be joining MLS in his prime. And yes, granted, that's not nearly as significant as a, a Messi or a Ronaldo, one of those guys, but... The, even the Premier League teams are struggling to sign Messi and Ronaldo at this point. Uh, so I think that it will be a little bit farther down the road, but I do think the league is moving in that general direction uh, that within maybe five, ten years, it's certainly not going to be an impossibility. And last one, can you tell me something 
that I don't know about the MLS? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, yeah, can we come back? Can I get an alternative question while I think about it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Now you put me on the spot. I have to think of another question. <laughs> well, who's your prediction for next season to win to win uh, it all? I'm going to. I'm going to go. It's going to be boring. I'm going to go Seattle repeating over the New York Red Bulls. Why there? Why there are million and one cups to win? How, how many are there? Is a fair play competition as well, or something like that? A community? Yeah, the fair play ones around. You got the. It's not that different from England though in that way. I mean, you got the you got the league title. You have the U.S. Open Cup, which is basically our version of the FA Cup, and then you have the cha- the the regional Champions League. Uh, so it's not too too different, I don't think. Fair enough. So, so, so I'll, I'll come back here. So I think go. one thing, I think one thing that's interesting about MLS and that will be interesting to look at going forward is that almost all of the most successful teams are the ones that didn't found the league, uh, because if you look at the original at the original clubs like Columbus and Colorado and New England, almost all of those are the teams that struggled to draw the most. So it really speaks to how the league has been able to successfully expand that if you look at sort of the glamorous brands with the one exception of the Galaxy, almost all of them are teams that have joined the league in the last 10 years, which I think is sort of an interesting dynamic as to where the league's going to go going forward. There you go. Does that Ev- count? Does that that, one that absolutely counts. Evolution at its best, I think we can say. Um, yeah, I'll take Matt Pence, Seattle Sounders reporter for the Seattle Times. Where can we find you on, on the social media, in the social media world and online, of course? Yeah, on social media, it would be just at Matt Pence, uh, P-E-N-T-Z, all one word. So that's on Twitter. Um, and then also just seattletimes.com. Uh, that's where we host all of our Sounders stuff. You can find it from there. Thanks to Matt Pence for his time on the MLS. That was a really fun chat. I hope you enjoyed it too. Just some housekeeping work to attend to. You can find the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle, on iTunes. Please subscribe and download on there. You can also leave a lovely review for me. We're also on Audio Boom. If you go to audioboom.com and hit the Listen tab, you will find the podcast on there. You can follow the show. You can comment. You can get involved. And also, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. I have a special NBA guest for you next week. The NBA is returning to London for the seventh regular season game of the Global Game Series, the Indiana Pacers and the Denver Nuggets, on Thursday next week at the O2 Arena, 8 o'clock tip-off. And we're going to have a very special guest from London on the show next week. And very exciting news to come as well. We've got Premier League winner coming onto the show uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I won't give out that name yet, but he loves the NFL. We've also got a current NFL quarterback coming on very soon and an NBA legend who is now living in the UK. We're going to get to all of those people in the coming weeks. Very exciting times. And I have to thank you all for listening. Uh, Again, a reminder of our sponsor, redzonesports.com. Enter deposit code USSP to double your deposit money. What did I learn today? Well, I learned that all the founding figures of the MLS are indeed the worst teams. (laughs) So a special NBA guest next week. I will bring some of my topics for next week from the O2 Arena Live with Nuggets Pacers. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening to the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy wildcard weekend in the NFL.